Here we are. Welcome to the Pristine Christ Podcast. This is not a sermon. This is not a lecture. This is not a church service. This is a podcast. <laughs> Whatever that means. Uh, so, what that means is I'm at liberty to talk about whatever it is I want to talk about. And I'm at liberty to talk about the news, or the sports, or the weather. But I usually don't. So, <laughs> uh, I usually talk about the gospel here. The good news of salvation, the free grace of God. Or salvation by an imputed righteousness. And here I am podcasting again. I am Brandon Craft speaking live to you from St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm streaming live to the pristinegrace.org website, Facebook, and Sermon Audio. It's Thursday, February 13th, 2020. The time here is 6.30 p.m. here in good old St. Louis. And this is episode number 23 of the Pristine Grace podcast. And this is also the 10th in the Hyper-Calvinism is the Truth series. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and get started. I'll try to keep it short today. I don't like to keep you on the, on the, on the line for forever and ever. Here are a few things I'd like to mention before I get into today's message, today's main message. The first one is I'm thinking of taking Pristine Grace and turning it into a 501c3 nonprofit organization and also set up a board of directors. I, in the past, I've been opposed to that because there are certain things, certain restrictions that come with that. For example, you can't, you can't get into politics, you can't speak politics, uh, from the pulpit, if you will, when you're when you're when you're nonprofit organization, okay. So that's one of the downsides. But one of the good sides is it uh, it'll better allow me to keep the website going in the event of my death or passing. So it'll also allow me to solicit donations properly and keep all the finances separate from my private finances. And, uh, and the only reason I want to, to, to solicit donations would not be so much for the, uh, for the, the, the technical costs of running a website, nor am I thinking of ever making any money out of it. Obviously it's a nonprofit, but it's to, to, to bring in funds and help the saints and, uh, gospel churches around the world. That would be the, the primary reason for it. Also, it would be a good outlet for uh, others to, to give to. So, um, you know, and I, you know, I've been privately maintaining the website in one form or another for almost 20 years now, and I'd like to be able to hand control of it to someone else in the future. I did talk to my son about it. He's he's going to be 16 here soon, and he said he'd be willing to do that. But uh, we also need some technical skills that he doesn't have quite yet at this time. So, anyway, that's just something I've been thinking about. If I do it, it'll probably be later this year. I'm not hot and heavy to do that. Number two, I have several Sovereign Grace conferences that I'm going to be attending with my family this year. I'm announcing them here so that folks can know about them and they can make plans to attend as well. The first one that's coming up 
is the Eager Avenue Conference in Albany, Georgia, coming up next month in March. It's uh, scheduled uh, for March 20th through the 22nd, and I believe, actually I know that Gary Shepard and Richard Warmack are scheduled to speak. I'm excited for this, this one because it's been a long time since I've been there. I've seen, it's been a long time since I've seen so many of my friends there in Albany. I'm particularly excited to see Jim and Sylvia Casey. Uh, they're near and dear to my heart. Of course, we got Tim here listening on tonight's podcast and all of his Pinnells. <laughs> I think you got Mark and so Winston and Patricia. I, there are a few others. Amy, I believe. And, uh, of course, we've got the uh, Parkers there as well. Bill and Debbie Parker. Love those two. And Gary and, of course, the Shepherds. And hopefully, Richard will be bringing Pamela along with her to Albany. So, And also, Gary bringing Sheila. Also, probably in April, there's going to be a conference in Jackson, Missouri. As I understand it, Norm Wells will probably be preaching there. Tim James usually does it, but he's kind of having a little... He's got some heart issues, and of course, you know, his daughter Sarah's having that uh, uh, bone marrow transplant. So, if you would, please keep them in prayer. But anyway, regarding the conference, once I have the full details, I'm going to let folks know about it. Jackson, Missouri is where it's going to be located, and that's practically in my backyard, only about a 90-minute drive for us. We're actually, we're usually there most Sundays there now anyway, so uh, it's something I do plan on attending for sure. And then we've got the May 15th Rustin Conference. This will be the third year in a row I'll be going to that one. Bill Parker is planning to speak all five sermons there again. And that little congregation down there in Ruston is really something special. I really do enjoy uh, spending my time there. Of course, that's the home of Louisiana Tech as well. All right, and let's see. I'm also going to another one in July. Yeah, this is the year of conferences. July 24th, there's going to be a conference in Almont, Michigan. Drew Dietz is going to be preaching there. But uh, we don't know who the other speaker is yet. Drew's actually going to be here in St. Louis. I'm going to spend Saturday and Sunday with that man and his wife, Melinda. So I'm going to check out some uh, uh, botanical gardens here in St. Louis with him. Looking forward to that. And, of course, I'm looking forward to him, hearing him preach again this Sunday. And then, of course, we've got the 13th Street Conference in November of this year. And that is usually, that's where you have Norm and Tim and Gary. They normally preach that. So that's five conferences I plan on attending this year. I do love them. I do hope that you'll be able to join me at least in one of those conferences. Okay. Also, I'd like to start another fundraiser here soon for the Malawi and Zambia Saints. I know we just had one in January, uh, but we do need money for the conference that James Wally and Willie Mapoti are going to be preaching in Zambia, and I've got some information on that conference. It's it's pretty neat. Uh, 
James sent me the info this morning. I'll be going to put that up on the website here soon and also advertising it on the Pristine Grace uh, Facebook page. But anyway, some of the funds for that uh, conference were depleted due to some emergency needs for the Zim Zamba Zambian brethren. There was uh, a murder in the family and there were some burial costs and and it was just they just had a rough time and a rough way to go. So I'd like to raise money for that. I know that uh, Brother Alan Eisen over there in Eisenville, Kentucky, I, I get to see him on Sundays at uh, 13th Street. He comes there Sunday evening usually, and we talk. But uh, Alan Eisen's been good about raising money for the, the, that church down there in Malawi. And he had some funds raised, but they had to dip, dip into them for the Zambian uh, Brethren. So, uh, let's see. Uh, also, I'd like to give those Zambian folks a good chunk of money to help get them going even further. There was a sister there in Zambia who recently left her life for prostitution after hearing the Free Grace Gospel. And it just really, her testimony was just really something to behold. It reminded me of the uh, woman at the well. And uh, I've, we've already helped her out a little bit, but I'd like to help her out even more. Uh, she has changed her occupation, so to speak. She's not. She now has a new career in fishing. So it's amazing how far money goes down there. It's, you know, one hundred dollars goes a long way for them. It's it's over a month's salary for most of the people down there. So, any any if you do feel compelled to give or or just encourage them in the faith, that would be really good. All right. So that's. Uh, that's some, some introductory uh, items I'd like to discuss. Let's get to the uh, pre-message or the introductory message. And you know, the last few weeks I've been talking about the behavior of some folks on Facebook. And then last week I spoke on quantum physics and more specifically how the study of quantum physics and science in general has increased my faith and my confidence in Christ. That the glory of God is exceedingly genius design is displayed everywhere and uh you, but you can't you can't miss it if you've been given eyes to see but if you haven't you're gonna somehow you seem to miss it and i was talking to cole about that the other day you know every every night we take our dog jake out for a walk and usually talk about the things going on going on in our lives and for those of you who don't know cole is my son he's my teenage son and in his life right now, he, he loves to talk about his, his Tolkien books. He loves to talk about the gospel with me. And he's also expressed a desire to confess the gospel publicly with water baptism. So I'm really excited about that. And Jim Bird has said he'd love to baptize him. So I think uh, we're going to see that here soon. But, you know, we, we talk about the gospel, and we talk about the doctrines of Scripture. We talk about what we believe why we believe the Bible, which, by the way, I do plan to talk about that as well in a future podcast, why we believe the Bible, why do we believe the scriptures, but I digress. We were talking about atheism and, and the people out there that subscribe to it. I mean the ones that blatantly subscribe to it, the ones that say, I'm an atheist. And it blows my mind, and it, it did his as well. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking, in a, and it kind of reminded me that we all have to 
remember that it is God who has revealed the truth to us, and we believe because God has revealed the truth to us. And His glory is indeed every everywhere. It's displayed everywhere. You can't miss it. But if you're not, uh, if you're not, if you haven't been given eyes to see, you don't see it. And that's really all there is to it. The atheist denies that God, you know, denies that God exists simply because God doesn't want to be known by everyone. It's a, it's a sobering reality and a reminder that we can't just talk to people into believing the truth. God does the talking. God does the revealing. God does the convincing. And it's in God that we rest. And it's in this God, the one that reveals himself to his people, that I want to talk about tonight. And I'm, I'm sorry I didn't really talk about much in the pre-message, but uh, it, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, it seems. But anyway, it's about his salvation that is found in Christ. And uh, may God be honored in tonight's podcast. Uh, and that's about all I have for the pre-message part of the podcast. So let's go ahead and get to the main message part. All right. We've been going through the series on hyper-Calvinism. Okay. <laughs> and this series is entitled, Hyper-Calvinism is the Truth. And this is episode 10. Episode 10, you believe that? We've been, we've been dealing with doctrines that will get you labeled as a hyper-Calvinist by folks. We've, we've talked about things like the will of God being unitary. God's predestination of everything, including the doctrine of sovereign reprobation. We've also talked about superlapsarianism. That's a big word. It's a big mouthful. <laughs> and if you don't know what superlapsarian is, go check out last week's podcast. Okay, and uh, we've also talked about the errors that that are found in today's evangelical world. The doctrines of duty faith, the free or well-meant offer, common grace, common wrath. That's one you don't hear about too much. And of course, we kicked off the hyper-Calvinism series with a discussion on the errors of modern-day proselytizing. And in this series of podcasts, we are taking on the spurious charge of hyper-Calvinism head-on. We're, we're tired of being called hyper-Calvinists, especially when there really isn't a good definition of hyper-Calvinism out there. I want this series of podcasts to stand in contrast to all the accusations. I want people to see that we're not just a bunch of crazy people but that we've taken the time to study these things, to think these things through. I want people to see that although we've been called a bunch of mean old hypers, we actually do care for the truth, and we do love people, whether they believe or, or whether they don't. That we're just trying to be faithful to the scriptures and to God and his gospel. So with that said, we're going to get started on today's main topic. And as we've been titling all these podcasts on hyper-Calvinism in the form of questions, I think we're going to stick with that theme through the rest of the series. So, today's message is titled, Drumroll, Have the Elect Always Been Saved? That, that's a question. That's a curious question. 
And I think the answer to it depends on your perspective. For me, as one who has been labeled as a hyper-Calvinist most, my, my, most of my adult life, the answer is an emphatic yes. But I say that only because I'm speaking of a particular perspective. And there are many perspectives of salvation that need to be considered. Let me run down through all the possible perspectives now. Okay, first you got the perspective of the elect unbeliever, and then you've got the perspective of the believer, and of course you got the perspective of God. Okay, so you basically you got you got the perspective of the elect individual, and you got the perspective of God. You got two perspectives there, really. Okay, and from the perspective of the elect individual, there's a point in time where they begin to experience salvation. They, they come to a knowledge of their salvation. And that is always when they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and come to believe the truth of the gospel. They have crossed from darkness into light, and they are given assurance. And it's at this time of belief that they turn from all ways of works righteousness, from all ways of striving to obtain or maintain their salvation, and turning to and resting in Christ's work performed on their behalf. And this assurance of faith is something that perseveres. They, they will never stop believing. Yeah, sure, they will be caught up maybe in momentary unbelief when they sin. They will continue to sin as they battle against the desires of their flesh. But they will daily turn to Christ and plead his blood and righteousness. And they will do this as long as they live, or until, you know, God takes them home in glory. And they're going to even do it even more there. <laughs> okay? And, and generally, when, most when asked about when they were saved, they're going, to, they're going to be speaking about their experience. And when asked, they might give you a date, or give you a time period, or a period of time that they've been believers. And, and they're not wrong, Okay? It's not wrong to say I was saved on, you know, such and such date. Okay, it's not wrong to say I was saved in 2001. But as a hyper-Calvinist, I'm, you know, I'm going to answer you a little differently. A hyper-Calvinist might say, I've always been saved. What in the world? What in the world am I talking about? What in the world is that hyper-Calvinist talking about? Are they, are they saying that they've always believed the gospel? Not at all, okay? But that's what they will be accused of saying. They will be, be accused of saying that faith doesn't matter, that belief in the gospel doesn't matter. And sadly, there have been some people throughout the years who have made this error. Some of the uh, conditional primitive Baptists have taught that some people are saved and they never come to believe the truth. That's weird, but there are some people out there like that. And many of these types are also universalists, teaching that all men were saved by Christ, and that belief isn't a necessary consequence of God's redeeming work, and that all men will go to heaven. That's an error. But it's not one I'm going to take the time to address on today's podcast. I've been lumped in with those folks before, but I'm going to simply say that all of the elect will come to believe the gospel. So 
I'm just going to reject it and you can just take my word for it that I don't believe it. Okay? But what I'm talking about when I say that I've always been saved is the perspective of God and God's perspective. I've always been counted as one of His. I've always been saved from His perspective. I've always been destined to live with God forever and ever in the new heaven and earth. I was never destined for damnation or hell. And I've always been seen as righteous in Christ. And the same is true for all of God's elect, whether they believe or not. Okay? And I'm going to read some I'm going to read a passage here, and I want you to read it along with me. Because I do have some scriptural I do have some scriptural evidence for this belief, believe it or not. <laughs> it's not something I just made up, folks. I did uh, deduce this from reading the scriptures. <laughs> if you would, please turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And we're going to read the first 12 uh, verses of this passage. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor, nor comeliness, and we sh shall see him. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, a prophecy of our Savior's death. Pay attention to some, some of the words used there in that passage. The, uh, the, 
the scriptures are written there as if it's in the past tense. Okay? It's written in, this, in such a way as if it was already done. Now, I can't say for certain that this is because this is written from God's perspective, but it lends credence to that to that concept of justification from eternity, okay, or salvation from eternity. Let's jump ahead now to Revelation 13.8. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't need to turn with me. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay? Our eternal God has set up Christ as our surety and redemptive substitute in eternity. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Wow! What does that mean? Okay, let's move on then to the next passage I have for you today. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 30. Then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. Wow. God has delighted in the sons of men from eternity. You see, you, you see God's perspective of us is eternal. It's not temporal. God is transcendent of time and space. He has declared the end from the beginning and predestinated all things. And get that from the uh, the last few podcasts and you learned in those last few podcasts that all the things of this world are ordered in such a way as to bring about his desired result Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 7 let's go ahead and read those blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Ever. I'm just going to add that. <laughs> Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Look at that. We've been, ex we've been accepted in the beloved. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Do you suppose this could have been before we believed? I do. I believe that I, along with all the elect, were accepted by God in Christ from eternity. And that before we were even born, we were granted grace, redemption in Christ, forgiveness, justification, and even sanctification in Christ. But another thing that convinces me of, convinces me of this is the fact that God is immutable. He's not observing the events of this world and of time and changing his mind based on the things that happen in this world. His mind has been set. It's not changing. And I'm not going to get into a doctrinal proof on God's immutability. Renat Ilyasov actually 
posted a really good uh, pod, or good sermon on that. It's on the uh, Pristine Grace Sermon audio page about God's immutability. But uh, God's mind is a part of our salvation. It's from which God. It's from what salvation flows. Because imputation is an eternal and imminent act. Eternal because it comes from God. Eternal because God is eternal. Therefore, and it's imminent because it is entirely internal to God's mind. Those are some other words I do recommend you, you studying. But the but to those who level the charge of hyper-Calvinism toward us, they don't see things this way. They, they see God differently. They see time differently. They see God as being dependent upon time in some way. Or that he's mutable or changeable. And they only give lip service to the doctrine of immutability, of unchangeableness. And they know nothing of the doctrine of imputation being an imminent act. Now, sometimes they see imputation as an act that occurs in some heavenly court in heaven. It's strange. But uh, time is not something that God is dependent upon. Time is really change. It's really a change from one moment to the next. And that, that's what time is, and that's how you can define it. But you can't describe God that way. He's unchangeable, and therefore he is timeless. He changes time, but he's not changed by time. Time flows from him, but he's not carried along by it. He is eternal, and eternity is not an extension of time. Eternity is from which time proceeds. How do you think God's able to see the future? How, do, how is it able he is able how is it he's able to predict the future? Well, it's because he's declared it, okay? He isn't changed by it. He causes it. And he has caused our salvation. He has caused those evil men to take his son and crucify him. And he did it for his glory. Was his mind changed about his like people when Christ died? God forbid. Can you react to the cross? The cross was a result of his purpose. And if the cross of Christ was purpose, so was our regeneration and gift of faith and assurance. The cross of Christ didn't change God's mind, and neither did our faith as well. And the same is true for not just for us, but our Old Testament brothers and sisters who believe the gospel. Those who have already passed long ago. They stood before our Lord perfectly righteous, even though Christ had not yet come. How do you think they were able to do that? They were assured of it, too, as they looked forward to the cross, knowing that it was as good as done in the mind and purpose of God. And here are some passages on, on the Old Testament saints. Hebrews 9.15 And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9.22 And whilst all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And Romans 3.25 whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. 
Blood's necessary for salvation. Blood was necessary for the justification of the Old Testament saints. Yet, they stood before God as justified. How was that possible? It can only be through God's perspective that this, the events of the cross were as good as done in his mind. Okay, But if you believe that God is affected by the things of time, then you'll believe all kinds of crazy things, like the doctrine of common wrath or free willism. Let's just flee from folly like that. Let's, let's just flee. So, so you see, we've always been saved. We've always been saved in God's purpose. And we've always been saved by Christ. There was never a moment when the elect were not saved in the mind or purpose of God. Our salvation is eternal, and we have eternal life, and we also have everlasting life, and there is a difference between those two. Eternal life means we have life with God, because He's eternal. Okay, we're not eternal, God's eternal. And, and we are in Him, we are in Christ, therefore we have eternal life. And we also have everlasting life, because it's never going to end. So to, so to recap, to answer the question of today's message title, Have the Elect Always Been Saved? The answer is yeah, from a certain point of view. And, and to answer yes is to draw the charge of hyper-Calvinism by some people. But, but, but to those people that love to yell and scream, hyper-Calvinist, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Charles Spurgeon, one of your darlings, okay? And this quote is from his sermon titled Adoption, which can be found in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Pulpit, Volume Number 7. Okay? I have a feeling it might have been 1862 when he preached this, but there wasn't a date on it. Okay. But there are one or two acts of God which, while they are certainly decreed as much as other things, Yet they bear such a special relation to God's predestination that it is rather difficult to say whether they were done in eternity or whether they were done in time. Election is one of those things were absolutely done in eternity. All who were elect were elect as much in eternity as they were in time. But as you may say, does the like affirmation apply to adoption or justification? My late eminent and now glorified predecessor, Dr. Gill, Diligently studying these doctrines said that adoption was the act of God in eternity. And that as all believers were elect in eternity, so beyond a doubt they were adopted in eternity. He further than that to, to include the doctrine of justification, and said as, that inasmuch as Jesus Christ was before all worlds justified by his Father, and accepted by him as our representative, therefore all the elect must have been justified in Christ from before all worlds. Now I believe there is a great deal of truth in what he said, though there was also there though there was a considerable outcry raised against him at the time he first uttered it. However, that being a high and mysterious point, we would have you accept the doctrine that all those who are saved at least were elect in eternity when the means as well as the end were determined. With regard to adoption, I believe we were predestined hereunto in eternity. But I do think there are some points with regard to adoption which will not allow me to consider the act of adoption to have been completed in eternity. 
For instance, the positive translation of my soul from a state of nature into a state of grace is a part of adoption, or at least it is in an effect of it, at it, and so close in effect that it really seems to be part of adoption itself. I believe that this was designed, and in fact that is that it was virtually carried out in God's everlasting covenant. But I, I think that it was that actually when then brought to pass in all its fulfill, fullness. So with regard to justification, I must hold that in the moment when Jesus Christ paid my debts, my debts were canceled. And the hour that when he worked out for me a perfect righteousness, it was imputed to me. And therefore I may, as a believer, say I was complete in Christ before I was born, accepted in Jesus, even as Levi was blessed in the loins of Abraham by Melchizedek. But I know likewise that justification is described in the scriptures as passing upon me at the time I believe. Being justified by faith, I am told I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I think therefore that adoption and justification will they have a great alliance with eternity, and we're virtually done then, Yet of both of them such a near relation to us in time, and such a bearing upon our own personal standing and character that they also have also a part and parcel of themselves, actually carried out and performed in time in the heart of every believer. I may be wrong in this exposition. It requires much more time to study this subject than I've been able to yet give to it, seeing that my years are not yet many. I shall no doubt by degrees come to the knowledge more fully of such high and mysterious points of gospel doctrine. But nevertheless, while I find the majority of sound divines holding that works of justification and adoption are due in our lives, I see, on the other hand, in Scripture, much to lead me to believe that both of them were done in eternity, and I think the fairest view of the case is that while they were virtually done in eternity, yet both adoption and justification were actually passed upon us, in our proper persons, consciousness, and experiences in time. So that both the Westminster Confession and the idea of Dr. Gill can be proved to be scriptural, and we may hold them both without any prejudice the one to the other. Thank you, Mr. Spurgeon, for that lovely and excellent explanation. Okay? The darling of the anti-hyper-Calvinists can now rightly be called a hyper-Calvinist himself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a hyper-Calvinist. <laughs> and I think I, st I think I stand with good company now on this. <laughs> and and I, love, I love Spurgeon's uh, attitude here. Uh, where, where was it? He said that... Uh, where is it? Uh, he said something about him being young. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. I may be wrong in this exposition. It requires much more time to study the subject than I've been able to yet give to it, seeing that my ears are not yet many. What a great attitude as well. What a great attitude. I don't see that a lot today. I don't see a lot of humble, humbleness from, from uh, the, 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 main, the, the main preachers out there. Now, I see that in the preachers I, I hang out with. But I see a lot of preachers out there, and I see a lot of people on Facebook that uh, don't have that kind of humility. May we have that kind of humility, especially when it comes to studying the scriptures. So thank you. Anyway, that's about all I have for today. I, I do plan on podcasting again 
next Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Okay? I'm, I may skip, but I do plan. I, I plan to talk about free willers and others that go by the uh, Christian name or moniker. And the, uh, the, the podcast will be about whether they are brothers in the gospel or not. That's something I'd like to discuss on the 11th episode of the Hyper-Calvinism is the Truth series. Which, it's looking like we now have seven more episodes left after today. Seven. We're going to hit on the law as a rule for living, the nature of repentance, Sandemanianism, progressive sanctification, and heavenly rewards. And if you can think of anything else that you've been called a hyper-Calvinist over, let me know. I want to address it. So thanks for listening, my dear brothers and sisters. I, I hope you have a great day. May you all have grace and peace of understanding in our Lord Jesus. Have a great night.